Good morning. Welcome to Liberty Lake Church. Why don't you join us this morning with some worship? our announcements I I know we have nursery this Sunday and the 29th yes. we do have nursery available for ages 0 through 5 and there's so we've announced nursery this is also a bit of a different Sunday you'll notice Shane is not here Travis is over there I'm right here it's summer. <laughs> Hallelujah. Good morning. <laughs> You're not allowed to have a microphone either, so. <laughs> yeah, we do. There we go. All right. For uh, those few of you that don't know me, my name is Gary Baker. I'm one of the elders here. I've been gone for about four weeks, so I was out chatting with Lee, and we uh, sort of lost track of time out there. Um, so, announcements. Uh, the youth group is meeting tonight from 5.30 to 7 here at the church. Uh, Travis was relating to me that because they had an event at the lake Friday, he was afraid some folks might think that was youth group for the week, and there's nothing going on, but that's not true. There is youth group tonight. The nursery will be open today and August 23rd. Uh, that's for kids from newborn to five. And Kids Rock will be starting back up in September. And uh, we don't have a solid date on that, but we'll let you know when we do. Um, like I said, I've been gone back in Ketchikan, Alaska for the last four weeks, working in a pharmacy up there, and it's great to be home. Glad to see all your faces. Let's worship. 
All right, let's stand and join us.
Morning, 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 everybody. So while Shane is in traffic, I'm going to speak here today um, and share what's been on my heart and also to carry on in what we've been talking about in the Gospel of Mark. Um, so to start things off before... I say anything that's from me, I'm going to say a quick prayer. Blessed Father, um, 
Thank you so much for this amazing and beautiful day. Thank you for supplying the oxygen and the breath uh, for us to wake up today. Um, you are uh, the provider and the master and sovereign Lord over all of our lives, whether we fully grasp it or not. And I pray that you would just continue to reveal that to us and uh, your church and through the church to the world. And I ask that this morning, whatever said uh, would not come from me, but would come from you. And that uh, I might learn something as well and be humble, just as I have been throughout this week, past couple weeks. And uh, bless my family and friends here today. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. So, uh, let's read the passage first, and then we'll start to chew on it a little bit today, and I'll share of my chewings that I've got to go over uh, these past couple weeks. So, let's go to Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Um, in your ESV, it'll say the widow's offering, a famous title, uh, is also called the widow's mite, mite meaning uh, small coinage. And... This is the story that follows with Jesus in the temple speaking to his um, disciples. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So just to start things off, just so that y'all are aware, this is not a tithing sermon. This is not a money sermon. I mention that because... When I spoke with Shane a couple weeks ago, and he asked if I would speak, and he asked, do you want to carry on with Mark? I'm like, sure, I love Mark. And then I saw what passage it was. I'm like, ooh, this is, this is a tithing sermon, isn't it? <laughs> this is a money sermon. Nobody likes that, or I don't like that. And we got to wrestle with it a little bit. My presupposition with my church baggage, pa it's passages like this that I would get spoken to or preached to on in that manner, kind of a, I'm, I'm saying it, but not really saying it, it you know, are you, are you like the widow who is, you know, so humble and willing to give up everything she has to the church and stuff? I'm just, I'm just sharing with you my personal struggle that I have, and I'm sure I'm not alone, uh, and that goes with most passages um, in Scripture. We all have this presupposition, this baggage, but something like Gary and I were discussing this morning, you have to look at the context. Especially if there's a therefore at the beginning of the passage, you got to go back a few verses to find out what it's there for. And so with this, let's look at the context uh, throughout this. For one thing, Jesus is in the temple, right? Um, he had just finished talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees about their hypocrisy, what they know or don't know, rather, of Scripture, and even talking about Scripture itself. Back in verses 35 to 37, you can look back through it if you'd like. But I'm going to read uh, verses 38 and then through verse 44 uh, one more time uh, without any pausing and see if maybe we can catch up on, on the, uh, the common language as we read through this. So back to verse 38 of chapter 12. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down the opposite the treasury, and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had 
to live on. And so you see there's this, Jesus is still talking here, still teaching here to the same crowd, the same people in the same spot. It says that he went and sat down opposite the treasury. And um, for those of you who don't know, um, outside of the temple, they would put a box with a board hole in it. And people who would walk in and out of the temple or past the temple would put in contributions to um, finance the refurbishing of the temple. It's the equivalent of there's a, there's a tear in the carpet of the temple. We need that fixed. Or there's a broken window or something. They didn't have windows and carpet, but you get what I'm saying. And that's what that was. And that goes all the way back to 2 Kings, which, which is not up there, but I'll just make a, a quick notation to it. Um, back then... Uh, one of the kings of Judah um, commissioned the priests of that time to care and do this for the temple. And for 20-plus years, they received the money from the people, but the temple was nothing. There was cobwebs everywhere. Things weren't clean. Uh, old things were old because they weren't replaced, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when the king found out about that, he called his priests and said, okay, you guys are off the job. All right, I'm going to count the money. So he and the high priest counted the money themselves, and the priest made that box, bored a hole in it, and put it outside. And so when people contributed, that's where it stayed. And then after a certain amount of time when it was full, they would open it, and they would look at it. And then he wouldn't give it to the priests. He wouldn't give it to the people, the, the untrustworthy priests, apparently. He would give it to the workers, the common folk people who got their hands dirty, the carpenters, the construction workers, the laborers, the, the masons, people like that. And it's noted in, in one of the passages, and if you guys want to write this down and look at the actual story, it's 2 Kings 22, verses 21 through 24. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 21 through 24. In the final passage, it says that the king and the high priest did not need uh, to check with these men of labor because they were trustworthy. And I, I don't know. I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, but let's carry on with uh, let's carry on with the passage. So what are we looking at here when Jesus is sitting down across from the treasury? We see the rich who are putting in large sums of money. Um, when he describes the rich, that would include people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like, like we just read in the passage before, people of high renown who look at me, I'm wearing the fancy robe. I shouldn't say that. I'm wearing the holy robe, and I'm a, p a person of renown. And they're putting in money that they're willing to give so that people are seeing them. It's a crowded place, so people are seeing them. And Jesus is apparently seeing them too. And then Mark's gospel decides to point out this poor widow, and he makes that point in the original language, poor. This poor widow, she gave all that she had. And, um, yeah, why not? This was considered uh, about maybe three bucks out of a day's worth of 75 bucks. So you make 75 bucks a day. She had about that much. A full day's worth, she didn't even have that much, and she put in all that she had. Now, how Jesus knew that was all she had is because he's the Christ. But... He's, he's making a point here between the people who are rich and giving out just a little and who's giving out a lot. And I mentioned giving a little. And I mentioned before that I had this presupposition going in here that, okay, so the point is that I should have a heart like the widow who I, I should give everything. And if I don't give everything because God loves a cheerful giver, then obviously I'm, I'm missing the point here. Because if I do that, if I'm like the widow, if I have a heart like the widow, then Christ is pleased. And that's, that's what I began to walk away from. But is that the point that he's making? And before we chew on this part, just a little bit more and come to a conclusion, let's turn to Acts chapter 2 real quick. And I don't have a lot of verses today, but they're a little long, so I will uh, read with, um, well, I'll just read, so... Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. Context here is the New Testament church has just awakened. And here's a section where it talks about what the believers were like when it came to generosity. 
and when it came to giving to their brothers and sisters, money, possessions, what, what have you. And all who believed were together, and all had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. So they all, out of the oneness of heart, praised God together and gave together. They're, they're, at this time, which, which I don't know how they did it, at this time there was no delegation per se. There was no offering box per se. It was just, there's a person that's in need, I'm going to help them because Jesus. I'm going to help that person. Okay, I'm going to help that It was just, to me that sounds chaotic, <laughs> to be honest. But it, it says here that all things were in common. They all had the same view and the same goal, which was to love God and to help others around them, which is amazing. Every, everyone broke bread and distributed to all and shared, and no one was without need, which is super cool. Let's jump over to Acts chapter 3 real quick, and this is the bigger section. So this is after... Peter and John were brought before the council and told, don't preach about Jesus anymore. And it was pretty heavily like, you better not. Let off with a warning after uh, seeing a miraculous um, uh, cripple get healed. So Peter and John went back to their slowly growing brothers and sisters and told them what happened. And verses 23 through 31, they praise God for the persecution and the affliction that they're going through and ask for boldness to spread the gospel. That's like a pretty radical response. They, they get, you know, don't you dare or else and at the end of a blade. And immediately they're just like, Lord, would you give us more boldness to keep doing this? Which I thought was just incredible. And then here's the fruit of it. Verse 32 of chapter 4. Uh, do, 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 yep, verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, just like before. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And then going over that, this, this idea of the church, the body, giving as anybody had need, and now, there's, now that there's been an increase in numbers, like literal numbers, do the math, that's when they began to grant it to the apostles, and they would begin to distribute it as anybody had need. And then there's this little blurb here um, in verse 36 and 37 where a person is highlighted. The scripture highlights this guy named Joseph, also called Barnabas, who becomes a friend of Paul later. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That would be such an awesome name. Uh, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's this guy Barnabas who loves the Lord and wants to get involved in this to help people in need. But I find it interesting that it says that he sold a field, a, a piece of his property. He sold it and then gave it all to the apostles out of the kindness of his heart. It didn't say that he sold everything that he had need. And as I was looking into this passage of like, okay, so I should be like the widow, I, I began to, I started to see a little bit of a pattern here, and you'll start to see it too as we go through. He gave a piece of what he had, and he gave it all to the Lord and to the apostles. And there was not a needy person among them and uh, Barnabas sold everything that he had out of that piece and gave it to the people. And then, just to carry that narrative, immediately after that, we jump into the famous story of Ananias and Sapphira. And I'm going to read that. It's through 11, verse 1 through 11. But a man named, uh, so we just got through this guy Barnabas, who gave a piece and laid it at the apostles' feet. But 
a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, what is it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all those who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold this land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard these things. That little B-U-T in between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 carries on the narrative in context, shouting out this really quick, like I said, a little blurb about Barnabas, who sold a piece of his land and gave it all out of the kindness of his heart, whereas Ananias and Sapphira, there's a lot more to talk about because of their, their hypocrisy and lies to say, oh, I'm, I'm giving out of just what I have. I'm reserving a little bit for myself. This isn't fully and 100% in faith. This is, this is lack of faith. And he'd much rather lie and hold back. And Peter equates it to lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit. And they kept back some of their money and gave out of their abundance that they have. They wanted to look good on the outside and be praised. And that's so similar to the people back in Mark, right? The rich people and the Pharisees. I have, th- I have a lot, but I want to give this here. And again, we're starting to see a pattern here where The point is not how much you give, it's where you're giving from, right? It's why you give. So both stories have given details of giving generously through financial charity, although there's a lot more um, that you can give. But was Christ's point on how much you give or how you give? So back in the previous passage of Mark uh, chapter 12, um. When, you look at, when we looked at it in context, like I said, he was upset at the priests for their hypocrisy and used the practical example of the widow's faith in God. Because again, when the temple was erected, it was the physical placement of God among the Israelites, right? Whereas we have the Holy Spirit and we become the temple, we become the body of Christ now. At that time, Christ's physical presence through a cloud and through a pillar of fire, that's where he resided. So when the people, when the widow, when anybody back in 2 Kings were to contribute to that, they were giving it to God. They knew that this is going to God himself, which is just, wow, that's just amazing. So when the widow gave everything that she had the point is not, has nothing to do with the physical coinage, the physical copper, silver, gold, whatever. It has to do with the heart, right? And Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy and the calling that the priests were supposed to be fulfilling out in the midst of that. Um, Exodus 22, verses 21 through 24, says this, talking to the priests, and the scribes. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners 
in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. So Christ is is crying out this. Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And then immediately after that, he goes to sit down to look at the treasury box where everything was going to God and he saw rich people who on a whim was throwing out not out of the goodness of their heart, but this is what I have. Here's the change. But the outward view was completely physical, was completely selfish and fleshly. I'm holding a little bit back, like Ananias and Sapphira, right? And here the widow, because she knew where it was going, she gave, she gave it all. She's like, this is all I got, so here. Some people might have more, so they give. This is all she had, so she gave. It's not about the amount. It's about where the heart is. And Christ was calling these scribes and Pharisees out on where their heart was at. You're devouring. She, of all people, needed this charity probably the most. And yet, out of her poverty and generosity, she gave. And like Barnabas, who had a lot, it would seem, because it said he sold just a piece, so he probably had more, based on the grammar. He sold a piece of it and gave it all to the Lord. There's a quote that I found that was um, interesting by George MacDonald. He said that half of the misery in the world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. The scribes wanted to look good on the outside, look God-like on the outside, but were neglecting those in need. Ananias and Sapphira lied and held back some of their wealth. Both cared more about money than they did about God. And as I was wrestling with this in the last few weeks, when that hit me, I'm like, oh, so it's not about how much I give per se this isn't a tie you know again i'm talking years of, of you know just presuppositions church baggage baggage call it what you will like being totally like ripped out and being oh so that's that's not what he's saying this isn't some sort of you know are you are you like the widow's heart willing to give all that you have for the sake of the church and the body and stuff <laughs> that's that's not jesus's point here He's after the heart. Because otherwise, he'd be contradicting himself. Matthew 6, 24, you can uh, write that down. Paraphrase, Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. There is no 50-50. It's 100 either way. The priests were after the praise of people and, and accumulating or keeping their wealth. Their first priority was not worshiping God even though it should have been. So, let's add some practicality uh, to our lives, shall we? Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. So, this is Paul's second letter to uh, the people of Corinth, 2 Corinthians. And um, this is a moment of both shock and amazement and praise on his part towards the people of Macedonia, relating to the Corinthians people in Macedonia. And so I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 15, then we'll chew on this a little bit and uh, see what the scriptures are saying to us. So Paul is speaking. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish it, doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's a lot. Let's, let's take a moment and look at this. What I found interesting is in verse 5. Verse 5 surprised, in a very good way, Paul and his fellow brothers. It says, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us, to the cause, to what we're doing. Um, whether that be financially, well, in this case, it was financially, but that would also include time, labor, their hands ready to work. It didn't matter. And in verse 10, it says, this benefits you. This, this act of, at the time, they were going through severe affliction, and this produced an abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. And Paul's response is, this benefits you who a year ago not only started to do this work, this, this act of generosity and joy and love, but also to desire to do this. Why would, why would he separate the two from doing it and desiring to do it? They, they, had, the re, they had the readiness to give, and they desired to give. And they desired to give because they gave themselves first to God. It's what we've been saying. God came first in their lives. Not the duty of granting some sort of financial gift or anything like that. It was, I love the Lord, and I want to serve him with everything that I have. And then God motivated them by his spirit. Because it says, and then by the will of God to us. It was God's will that they did this. God and his people, they were all interwoven. And the fruit of it was this abundance of joy and this wealth of generosity. I find it interesting that Paul's used the, the um, adjective hope that my grammar whatever wealth of generosity like this idea of they were so generous they had it was overflowing in everything that they did to everybody around them the trials and tribulations were revealing this this genuine love and joy towards other people and I'll be honest with just how, I'll just say things, because we all talk about it, but at the rate of how things have been going, my initial response as 
a me and a provider is whatever I have, I, I want to kind of do that to it. And um, I get very anxious when I see little bits of it kind of slip through my fingers. Um, I may not show it outwardly, but inside I get very tightened in knots and like, yeah, but I know we, we want to get that, or yeah, I know we need that, but do we really need it, you know? Can't we, can't we just share this napkin, <laughs> pass it? And a lot of um, all those rich people, and Ananias and Sapphira, they held back a little bit. And again, the point is not how much, not how much you give. The point is how you give. And I'll, I'll, I'll even say it's not even necessarily what material things that you give because God's not necessarily after that. In fact, I'll just boldly say that's not what he's after at at all. That's not what he wants. He wants you. Ultimately, and finally, he wants you. Jesus wants you. He desires your whole self to be reliant on him. And so a question I asked myself as I was wrestling this was, is my faith completely reliant on him and his providence throughout all of this? Do I care and love Jesus more than I do about myself? Because after... After, and th this is the point where Jesus pointed out this poor widow as a practical example as to what the Pharisees and the scribes were neglecting. As soon as this poor widow put in all she had for that day, and probably then some, that was it. She was, we're not told what happens after that. We're not even told what Jesus did for her. She was completely and utterly reliant on God, 110%. And uh, you can make a note of this if you want. I don't have it here, but read James 4 because it talks about that a lot. When we're going through um, various trials, tribulations, hardships, and things of that nature, and it, it revealed where my heart was at and my um, tendency to grip on to earthly things that I don't even get to take with me anyway when Christ calls me home or he returns. And I, I struggle with that all the time. Yet, I also like to go and get a large-size Happy Meal with a Coca-Cola or root beer. I love Wendy's. Wendy's is my favorite. Regardless of good times, bad times, in between times, God comes first. And if that's really true, then I should be the last thing on my mind. But normally, when I go to the mirror and see this mug, it's usually the first. And... If God's the first thing on my mind, then everything will be second or last. And like, like it said, although all the people in Macedonia had this desire, and actually, before I forget, before we, uh, before we close here, um, I'm going to read that 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to read it out of the message because um, there, there are many a time where I like the way the message words things. It's just really... Mm, it's like candy. It's just really easy to, to get for me. Um, it's uh, heavily paraphrased. Don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, if you're looking at it, be sure to have a uh, more literal translation, best you can, to kind of differentiate. With that being said, I'm going to read um, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 through the message, and uh, we'll close here. Now, friends. I want to report on the surprising and generous way in which God is working in the churches 
in Macedonia province. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I was there and saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out in the relief of poor Christians. This was totally spontaneous, entirely their own idea, and caught us completely off guard. What explains it was that they had first given themselves unreservedly to God and then to us. The other giving simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. That's what prompted us to ask Titus to bring the relief offering to your attention so that what was so well begun could be finished up. You do so well in so many things. You trust God, you're articulate, you're insightful, you're passionate, you love us. Now, do your best in this too. I'm not trying to order you around against your will, but by bringing in the Macedonian's enthusiasm as a stimulus to your love, I'm hoping to bring the best out of you. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. So here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year and to not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You've got what it takes to finish it up. So go to it. Once the commitment is clear, you do what you can, not what you can't. The heart regulates the hand. This isn't so others can take it easy while you sweat it out. No, you're shoulder to shoulder with them all the way. Your surplus matches their deficit and their surplus matching your deficit. In the end, you come out as even. As it is written, nothing left over to the one with the most, nothing lacking to the one with the least. And uh, that little that little blurb, blurb actually goes back to, um, oh gosh, what is it? Exodus, uh, wait, nope, that's not it. I can't remember where that was. Is it in Exodus? It's, um, oh gosh, it is where uh, the people of Israelites were given um, uh, quail and uh, food from heaven. And it said when they went out to gather, um, some people gathered a whole lot and some people just gathered a little. But to each family, the people who ate the little, oh, I'm full. And the people who had a whole lot, they ate it, oh, we're full. Nobody was lacking. Nobody had too much. Nobody could say, man, I wish I had a little bit more. And nobody said, oh, man, you know, this is way too much. Can't take it. Everybody was evenly spaced out and God provided. And back in that time, they complained and didn't fully trust themselves unto God because that's what God is after. He's after us and our hearts. So I am stressed out. Uh, I hold on to things with a tight grip, and I get flustered at the prospect of losing my stuff. That includes my alone time, my resources, uh, my money, and my things, anything. God is not telling us to give more through this passage. He's revealing the heart like what Jesus was doing. He's revealing the hearts and the hearts behind why we give. Like the song Shane uh, shared with us a while ago, everything I put before my God is an offer. Uh, let me read one last passage, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When I, again, like I said before, I thought this was going to be a tithing message. I thought this was going to be, oh, I want to be like the, I should, I should be like the widow or something. And the conclusion I can see is Christ was revealing hearts. He was revealing the spiritual when so many people around him were focused on the physical. And he's not saying, if you're like the widow, then I'm pleased. He's desiring us to live out this life in complete and unreserved faith in him, knowing that he'll provide and we offer our, our bodies to him so that when we get into the kingdom, when we're before the throne, that's when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, yeah. Let me pray for you guys. Blessed Father, oh, thank you for um, convicting my heart in this. Um, I thought I was uh, wrecked yesterday in talking about this. I'm a little more wrecked today, and I thank you for that. And I, I just ask that these words would um, float in our minds and in our hearts for a season to really just um, meditate on these things and uh, consider what it means to give ourselves fully and 100% to you. Because I can, I can give my things and, and um, with all attempts, be as generous as possible to the, the poor, the unfortunate, to those in need, out of my abundance even, and, and give as much as I can. But what pleases you is offering myself to you first. And then by your will and your will alone, you will guide each of us and motivate us with so much joy and so much generosity in our hearts to where we not only have the readiness to serve and to love one another with our time, with our finances, with food, with clothing, with anything, with, with most importantly, sharing the truth of the gospel, but we will also desire to do it. And Father, forgive me for holding back in that manner, because I know full well how motivating you are as a loving Father, and as you're in the other room wanting to motivate me to get out and put my hands to work. Sometimes I prefer to stay in my own room and not come out because I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And um, I just ask that you would move us all and uh, I might encourage my brothers and sisters and they might encourage me as well. That, Like Paul said, we can do this. We can be a light for people in this really, really dark time. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. Amen. For, oh, there we go. I want to stand and join us for the last song.
joining us today. For, thank you for joining us in worship and fellowship. It's so nice to be able to see people and say hi to people. So have a good week, and we'll see you all next week.